What's up, New York City? This is Tom Chavez of the NYC Video Podcast, a show that spotlights talented filmmakers, discusses local industry trends, and zeroes in on local resources available to our community here in New York. For today's show, we're going to be talking about taxes for freelance filmmakers. If you haven't already heard, the IRS has extended this year's tax filing date for an additional month, giving us all an additional month to plan and sort out all of our paperwork and get ready. But it also means another month of painful agony to plan and sort out all of our paperwork. Each year, the process of filing taxes as freelancers is so stressful because we get issued so many different tax documents like W-2s and 1099s from all of our different freelance gigs. We also have different expenses, some of which are tax write-offs, some that aren't. Keeping track of all that paperwork is a skill in and of itself, and then trying to self-file using TurboTax is a whole other set of worries because if you misfile or make a mistake interpreting these complicated IRS forms, you could face heavy penalties from the IRS. Another concern is that if you don't write off valid expenses, you could potentially lose out on hundreds or even thousands of dollars in deductions that are case-specific. Also, the IRS has a bunch of loopholes that could save you a lot of money, but if you don't know what they are, that's more of your hard-earned money flushed down the toilet. That's why for this week's episode, I'll be firing off a bunch of tax-related questions at Jonathan Meadows. He's a lifelong CPA who's lived and worked here in New York for over 20 years. He's a graduate of the NYU Stern School of Business, and he's worked for some of the world's largest accounting firms, such as KPMG. He eventually left and started his own small business as a CPA, catering to freelancers and gig economy workers here in New York. His website, www.cpaforfreelancers.com, does a great job laying out what his services are and explaining the benefits that a CPA can offer filmmakers, photographers, artists, etc. So why would someone pay for a CPA when you could just self-file your own taxes online? That's a question I wrestled a lot with during my early years as a freelancer. I got royally screwed over one year when I used one of those big chain brick and mortar tax preparation houses. I'd swore I'd never go back and just self-file from there on out. For the next five or six years, I self-filed using TurboTax because it was advertised everywhere and convinced me that it was cheap, easy, and quick solution to tax filing. As my career began to evolve and I transitioned from a freelancer to a small business, I decided to hire my first CPA. I showed up at his office with my shoebox overflowing with receipts from like B&H and Adorama, 1099 forms, W-2s, and stable tax forms from previous year filings. After reviewing all of my tax forms, I quickly learned that I had misfiled numerous forms and ended up owing thousands of dollars in back taxes for not having filed properly on my own. I also hadn't filed my quarterly taxes properly, which also set me back quite a bit of money. He set me up on a comfortable repayment plan spread out over time, and I was eventually able to get back into the good graces of Uncle Sam, and I didn't need to worry about being audited because I was working with a pro who had my best interests in mind and understood all the complicated forms and acronyms that the IRS specializes in. Also, last year when the pandemic began and we had to file for government assistance, all of my paperwork was in order and filing for disaster loan programs was a relatively painless process. The thought of hiring a suit to take care of my taxes and books always seems like a big investment, but in all truth, it really helps to hire a pro who you have a relationship and who knows your tax history and can quickly step in to help out when the shit hits the fan. Anyway, I was thrilled when Jonathan accepted my invitation to join us on today's podcast and to volunteer his time and expertise to answer the questions that so many of us have but are afraid to ask. I put together a bunch of frequently asked questions that I've either dealt with personally or that I've seen come up time and time again on these Facebook groups here in New York. I tried to frame each question as broadly as possible because each person's tax filing situation is based on individual factors such as income, investments, marital status, location, dependence, etc. So buckle up and let's jump into today's interview with Jonathan Meadows. Today's episode was sponsored by the Available app. Finding qualified crew members for a film and TV production is a daunting and time-consuming task. The Available app makes it easy to streamline the booking process and gives you full control of hiring and management by utilizing your network to find and communicate with your crew. It allows you to quickly see who's available to work on set immediately. Download the Available app today on the Apple and Google Play stores. 
On today's show, we have Jonathan Meadows. He's a CPA based here in New York City, and he works a lot with freelancers. His website is cpaforfreelancers.com. So he works with a lot of filmmakers and musicians, and I'm really happy to have him on the show today. Cool. Thank so, you for having me. Okay, so right now is tax season. A lot of filmmakers are sweating because one, we're freelancers. Two, there's a pandemic. And three, we're just coming out of winter, which is a perfect storm for struggling with taxes and getting ready for tax season. So right now it's top of mind for a lot of people. And because you're a CPA and you deal a lot with freelance and freelance filmmakers, it'd be really relevant for you to talk to us about some of these topics that we've been asking about on these Facebook forums. So we've got a list of questions here that I wanted to see if you could answer for us and just shed some light on the mystery of what a CPA does. So to start out, what exactly is a CPA? What does a CPA do? What does a CPA stand for? So a CPA stands for Certified Public Accountant. I'm licensed by the state of New York, equivalent of an engineer or a physician. It gives me a license to do multiple things. At its core feature, signing off on financial statements. But it also gives me the license to represent taxpayers before the Internal Revenue Service, New York State, and other tax authorities. Great. Cool. So... As you probably already know, freelance filmmakers, we do tons and tons of different jobs with different companies. We have to fill out different kinds of paperwork on all these kinds of shoots. Whenever we're getting ready for tax season every year, what kind of things can we do ahead of time in order to work efficiently with the CPA? So I would say keep a list of who you're working for and a checklist of what you're expecting in. I I realize there are a lot of jobs that camera people have in general. So if you did 20 gigs, you should expect 20 W-2s. And if you have 19, that means you're missing one. So I would definitely keep at at a minimum a checklist of who you're waiting on for documents and follow up with people if you did not receive. Sure. Yeah, that's actually something interesting because I move every few years as a freelancer. We're very uh, migrant people. So we start at least here, we start at least there. And I noticed that at the end of the year, I only get back some of the 1099s to my new address. Some of the 1099s kind of go missing. So it's actually a great idea to keep a list of like the production companies and reach back after them if you haven't received those 1099s or W2s and stuff. So as freelancers, we use a bunch of different software. We use QuickBooks, we use Wave, FreshBooks to you know create invoices, but it also helps us with our accounting and stuff like that. Is there a specific kind of software that you would recommend freelancers to use in order to kind of make that communication easier between them and yourself as a CPA? So I'd say the following. So I think one thing what we should distinguish are, are jobs where you're getting W-2s, where you're treated as an employee and taxes are being held, and jobs where you're being treated as a freelancer, i.e. you're receiving a 1099 and you do not have taxes taken out. For the latter, you should use some sort of professional tax software, i.e. QuickBooks, Way, FreshBooks. There are a myriad of them. I don't get a commission from anyone to plug anyone, so I'm indifferent. If the software works for you, that's great. But what I would do is use that software to keep track of who you're billing and to keep track of business expenses. Because as a freelancer on our 1099 gigs, we're paying taxes on our profit, meaning after business expenses. Okay. And speaking from just personal experience, like I know that when I just started my career, before I really kind of had a business, I was just freelancing, I would self-file. I would use TurboTax at the end of the year, every year. What are the pitfalls of, I guess, self-filing or something that we should kind of keep in mind if we are self-filing as freelancers? Well, I think a self-filer is only as good as a person being comfortable with the laws of of filing. Some people can certainly do it. I know I had other careers and I could certainly self-file my own taxes. But if it's something that you're uncomfortable with, you should really consider getting some professional help. Yeah. And it's actually something really interesting because I have zero interest in numbers. It's not really how my brain works. And whenever I would self-file, I would just see so many acronyms and just different numbers. So I would kind of just throw a dart and hope that what I was putting in was correct. But once I started working with the CPA, 
and we actually went through past year's filings, he pointed out to me that I did so many things improperly. And it cost me, I know, a lot of money to try to fix those things that I classified as a deduction, which actually wasn't a deduction, or I didn't classify something as a deduction, which actually was a deduction. So yeah, self-filing, I've found that it's relatively easy and these companies make it really easy to sign up and do it yourself. But ultimately, you know, you could end up losing a lot of money and costing yourself a lot more in the long term. Yeah, to your point, if you feel like you're throwing a dart, stop, get help. Yeah. When you feel that you're over your head, I really think it's time to call on someone to help you. Sure. That's kind of like one of the big problems with freelancers. And I'm speaking for myself personally is when I just started out, I would always see accountants as people that wear suits and ties and, you know, kind of work at these big faceless corporations and stuff like that. And me, it's like I wear jeans, I wear sandals, I wear shorts to work, kind of like cultural disconnect between being a freelancer and CPA. So can you talk a little bit about, about like, I guess, working with freelancers and what's been your experience working with them? What kind of things do you kind of see as a recurring issue with them? And how do you kind of ease them into the process of like, hey, I'm not just a suit. I'm a small business owner. Let me try to help you out. Well, first of all, I prefer suit and ties. It's just my bias. It's sure. It's a Sunday, but I'm wearing a tie and jacket as we speak. Okay. However, we don't judge people by their clothes. So I think you need to find someone that not only has a technical competence, about, but that works well with you. First of all, I don't judge anyone. I try not to. I try to leave my biases at the door. I'm here to help people. But at the same time, there is a limit. I have certain clients that have tried to push the envelope and there's certain things you can't do because it's inappropriate. So I would say a good relationship is one where you feel comfortable working with someone else, where the professional has the expertise, but with someone that you would have a conversation with. But remember, this person also needs to charge for their time. I find that for a lot of freelancers, the CPA tends to be the first non camera type of professional they hire and they don't understand that they have an overhead just like the freelancers do and they need to be compensated adequately for their time and that sometimes comes as a shock for them i wouldn't let someone as professional charge you an extra 100 or 200 or 300 dollars come in the way of hiring that person if you feel it's the right person now in terms of how i work with people frankly it's just having a conversation the secret to my success is availability i have couple of other people working with us and we try to answer people. If it's an emergency, I'll speak to them on a weekend or a holiday. And that's when I find the key success is trying to build a rapport and trust with, with people to try to be there for them. I sure. find that that tends to be what people need. People need to be able to call someone. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've been a small business owner for a few years now and I've gone through two CPAs. I've my previous one and my current one. And I've basically noticed that like uh, with some CPAs, when you call them up, a good one will basically, if they can't talk to you right now, they'll get back to you ASAP. Mm -hmm. The other CPAs, when you call up their office, you have to talk to a secretary and that secretary has to email this person, this person, and then the CPA doesn't get back to you until like a week later or several days later. And they don't even remember my name. So that kind of personal intimacy that you have with relationship that you have with a CPA is, is to me really valuable. So it's Well, you I, want someone who's busy though. I mean, yeah. if they're not busy, that's exactly. busy is usually a sign that they're decent and they know what they're doing. However, you want someone to get back to them. What I find is the challenge is that there's seven days in a week and 168 hours, and people try to tend to want things on nights and weekends. And you have to remember as well that your off time is some other professional's off time as well. So there are boundaries that yeah. have to be respected, but I'm in agreement with you. I personally, if you say to me, Jonathan, what would you do to look for someone? Number one, I make sure the person's licensed, CPA or an enrolled agent. Number two, they're actually round year round. Some people just you do these things that they'll sign the return for you. Is it people that refuse to put their name on a tax return? That's kind of a telltale sign. There might be an issue. Also, I look for people that have other people. You can't do this all on your own. I can't tell you how many people I picked up because their other accountants retired, passed away, or they couldn't get a hold of them. 
So I recommend working with someone that has two, three, four, five, six people in their office, even if it may cost them a couple of dollars, just because of continuity. So in case something happens, someone's around, they know who you are, they can handle things for you. Cool. Yeah. So another one of the questions that I've also seen in the Facebook forums is a lot of filmmakers, they don't know, should I continue kind of working just as a freelancer or do I incorporate? And at what point do I try to incorporate and form single member LLC or like a sole proprietorship? Well, that's such a broad question. It really depends yeah. upon the individual circumstances. Primarily, state and local taxes come into a big play in all this. The advice that I would give someone that lives in New York City would be different than someone that lives outside of New York City. The advice that I potentially would give to someone who's at the beginning part of their career would be a bit different to someone who's winding down. So I would say it just depends upon your given facts and circumstances. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you for myself, my first impulse when I first incorporated my own entity was not because of tax saving move, but it was because of liability protection. Okay. So I would say, speak with an attorney, speak with a CPA. There may be tax reasons to do this. There may be liability reasons to do this. There may be both tax and liabilities reasons, but I wouldn't necessarily say that incorporations always a tax driven mode. There may be other reasons for considering doing this. Sure. I know that like taxes and legal reasons are two entities that kind of work together when you start business. Should you approach a lawyer first and then meet with a CPA or do you meet with a CPA and then they recommend, should you contact a lawyer or something like that? Either way, it depends. Either way is fine. As long as the professionals can work well, that tends to be the biggest issue. Sometimes there's, because for whatever reason, lawyers and accountants tend not to be on the same page. So as long as the two professionals work well with each other, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter which one you approach first. Sure. And you mentioned earlier, like, you know, it depends if you're a New York City resident, one thing versus another state's, mm-hmm. you know, filings. A lot of filmmakers in New York and a lot of people in New York aren't from New York City. They're from Connecticut. They're from Jersey. They're from Texas. Are there any advantages or is it legal to use your parents' mailing address as the state that you file in? Though you if you're in physically New in New York, you're a New York City resident. You should be paying New York State and New York City taxes. Okay. And if you want to use your parents' address for convenience purposes... That may have untold consequences because that state, Texas doesn't have a state income tax. Let's use North Carolina as an example. They may come back and say, hey, we see that you're registered as a North Carolina resident. How come you didn't file North Carolina tax returns? So you may be creating two problems by doing this. Where you live is where you should be filing taxes. Okay. Interesting. I know like a lot of filmmakers, yeah, that use their parents' address to file. And I was never sure if it was legal or not, because I know that, you know, I live and work in this city. Let me answer that in another way. If you have an audit, New York City, New York City probably to be, be demanding income tax if you, if you didn't pay for it. Well, so as a freelancer, like I've always felt like I don't make enough money to be audited. Like I'm not making millions of dollars. Do you see like a lot of freelancers that get audited? And what's the process of, if you do get audited, what do you do next? Well, I mean, that's such a wide question. The question is who's going to audit you and why? So I've seen at the federal level where tax returns have been selected for examination. Mm-hmm. I've seen at the state level and city level where tax fairs have been selected for different reasons. Sometimes it could be because They want you to prove out your expenses if you're self-employed, or it could be for residency issues, whereby the IRS, or let me phrase this, the New York State or New York City doesn't disagree with any of the numbers, but they feel that you're a New York State or New York City resident, and they want you to pay New York State and or New York City income tax. So they are entirely different types of audits. It's a question about revenue and expenses. You need to prove things, receipts justification of travel expenses that are legitimately for business purposes. Mm-hmm. When it comes to a residency audit, that's an all other ball of wax. Where there, they're trying, you have to prove that you are or are not a resident of the state or city for the year in question. Okay. And this kind of leads me to my next question, which is I work mostly in New York City. I live in New York City, but I do get hired for jobs that happen out of state, whether it's in Connecticut, New York, Pennsylvania, 
North Carolina, do I need to file taxes in those states too because I worked in those states or just as a New York City Tax level, yes. If you earn income in the state, you have to pay income taxes in that state as a non-resident. But unfortunately that you're in New York, you'll get a credit for those taxes because New York state taxes tend to be higher. Where it really becomes an issue is let's say you're residency in Florida and or Texas, and you start doing jobs in these states mm. where, where you're gonna have to pay, but you don't get a credit in your home state because your home state doesn't charge you income tax. Okay. You're in relative, if you live in New York State, New York City, or California resident, you're more or less gonna be indifferent about earning income in other states. Where it becomes an issue is where you're living in a lower tax state and you wind up doing a job in a state that has higher taxes in your home state. Okay. So my next question is a lot of freelancers, they think that hiring a CPA is just too expensive, that they don't earn enough money. You know, they're just scared basically of even approaching a CPA. Mm-hmm. What's like the general cost? And I know this varies uh, from person to person, but let's say I make a, like 15, dollars $75,000 and I'm just starting out. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I rent an apartment. What would you say are like the roughly the costs, I guess, of working with this? It depends upon how complex you are. I would say anywhere from 400 to like 900 to $1,000, depending upon what's going on. The more you have going on, the more someone's going to charge for their time. Sure. I'll give an example. I have a client who's a musician. He has to file in 25 states every year because he, not COVID, he tours a lot. That's a more complex return. I have another client that has investments in a lot of other businesses. He has investments in restaurants. Okay. It's more complex, heavy sure. investments. Let me rephrase like this. The more states you have, the thicker federal tax return, the more complicated the issues, the more someone's going to charge. Okay. So if I do file, if I do form like a, let's say a single member LLC, do you think that makes me either more appealing for an employer to hire me or like will it complicate things and will I basically pay less in taxes? So a single member LLC is a flow through entity, so you won't save any money in taxes. Whether an employer wants, deems it more attractive or not to hire you, that depends upon what's the employer's going on. There's a test to determine whether someone's an employee or an independent contractor that New York State will execute. The question is whether the single member LLC shields a person from that. And that's really a question for an attorney to answer. Sure. Yeah. If I have a small business and you know, the film industry, for me at least, is very seasonal. Usually December, January, February, it slows down quite a bit. So I hire a lot of freelancers to work throughout the year. And then I kind of stay quiet and calm during the slow months. But in the past, I've noticed that or I've been sent letters from the government saying that hey, you're hiring the same people over and over, they're employees. And then I had to work mm-hmm. with my CPA to basically prove that they're contractors, that our industry is seasonal, and then I issue 1099s to all of them. Right, if they hold themselves out to, to run their own business, that's evidence that they're independent contractors. They have other clients. They maintain their own overhead. So being an LLC and or an independent contractor, if you have other activities, further identifies you as being someone who's self-employed versus someone who you hire Joe and Joe more or less just works for you. He doesn't have his own overhead. He's in your place. You tell Joe what to do. He's an employee. Sure. What I've seen though over the past few months is that actually the reverse has taken place because of PPP payroll protection program, whereby the government has been subsidizing companies to hire employee people to reduce the unemployment numbers. People that have been independent contractors have forced to become to be, become employees, and they don't like it because then they can't take their business expenses and their overhead that, that they typically have to carry. Yeah, like I know in the past, my CPA has basically advised me, if you can, whenever possible, try to hire freelancers that are single-member LLCs. At the end of the year, it just looks more kosher because you're hiring a company as opposed to an individual. Right, over again, over. because they maintain their own overhead and, sure. and other things. That, that's probably, we're saying the same thing in a different way. Yeah. 
All right. So as a freelancer, I collected a lot of unemployment last year just due to the pandemic. I know some of us collected the PPP loan for mm-hmm. ourselves, for our businesses. How will that affect my tax filings in 2020? Well, if you had your PPP period, the same time that you had your unemployment, you potentially have an issue. Okay. Because the unemployment, you went to the government and said you couldn't find work. The PPP, you went to the government and said you're working and you need a subsidy in order to keep your business going. So you cannot claim the PPP forgiveness for the same period that you were on unemployment. You can repay that money, but I would be very careful about commingling those time periods because you can potentially have a problem. Sure. The unemployment, thanks to recent, very, very recent tax changes, as long as you're making 75000 if single, 150000 if married, the first $10,200 is not taxable at the federal level right now. Some states are pending rollout to see whether they'll conform with the federal guidelines. That's a very, very recent change. So that should help. But aside from that, assuming you fit into that box after the first 10,200, you're going to owe taxes on that. And what I've been finding is that withholding for federal unemployment has not been sufficient. So even if you had taxes taken out, when you factor in potentially other income that you had pre-pandemic, people are over the money. Especially if you have done any of this stuff, having the CPA will just help you kind of comb through all of the paperwork that's necessary. Because like for me, like I don't understand a lot of the stuff. It's it's almost like a different language and I'm reading all these acronyms. You have to be careful like, here. If you yeah. don't understand what you're doing and you grab money from a lot of different sources, get someone to help you mm-hmm. because potentially you can make a mistake that you can bring a lot of trouble on you, especially with PPP and unemployment. Definitely get some help. Sure. And now that so many people have been working from home for the past year and so much, so much of the workforce has gone virtual and stuff like that, mm-hmm. what kind of deductions can you make? I've heard that like you can deduct, let's say you're a home office or a percentage. A I'm going to self-employed. So that's only self, if you're self-employed. Yeah, the deductions at the federal level, if you were a W-2 employee, went, went bye-bye a couple of years ago under a 2017 tax report. They eliminated the miscellaneous itemized deduction. So if you're self-employed, even pre this, you could take, as long as you had an area in your apartment or home exclusively used for business purposes, you can take off said area as a tax deduction against your freelance income. Sure. And for people that don't know, what exactly is a tax deduction? So what a deduction is, let's suppose you make $50,000 and you have $10,000 in deductible expenses. Deductible expense means a business expense that's ordinary and necessary to run your business. So under that scenario, you would have a profit of $40,000 on which you're paying taxes. So a deduction is not dollar for dollar. Rather, it reduces your tax rate by your average tax bracket. So let's presume you're in the 25% bracket for federal purposes only. And you have $10,000 in business expenses, top level, $10,000 in business expenses will save you $2,500. And what are some of the most common tax deductions that you've seen basically with filmmakers? Is it like equipment? Is it vehicles? Equipment, vehicles, computers, communication devices, software. You guys have heavy, heavy, heavy technical spends, much more so than a lot of other industries. Sure. And you can accelerate the depreciation off of that for federal purposes for a lot of that. Sure. And that actually leads me to my next question. When I make these big purchases and stuff like that, I know that you're, some people advise to write it off right away. Some people advise mm-hmm. to write it off slowly over the course of years. What are the benefits or detriments to doing either? Timing. 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 So either you take all your benefit now and or you spread it out over multiple years. It just depends upon what you think your income tax bracket is going to be in this year versus what's going to be in other years. Because we have a progressive tax system. So a deduction may or may not be worth more money in future years if you're in a higher tax bracket. Sure. So if, let's say 2020 has been a really rough mm-hmm. year. Would you recommend, or, and I got to, again, this is a case-by-case basis, but 
do you think you'll see more people deducting, like the full de- taking the full deductions right away? Possibly. Kind of I'll, I'll tell you what, because they have the unemployment. They have the unemployment. They may, may not have had taxes taken out. They just might need that heavier deduction to mitigate the tax liability from unemployment. So it just really depends on the individual circumstances. Okay. And the next thing is like, I know that a lot of people, especially a lot of my filmmaking friends have been traveling by car to a lot of different shoots because everyone's kind of worried about taking the trains to set different film shoots in and around New York. And they use their personal vehicles to do these drives. Is the tax mileage that they use on their cars, is that considered a deduction? To the extent they're commuting from their home office to said shoot, then it should be a deductible expense. You can't take commuting expenses, but you can take a deduction from work to a client and then back to work especially if you're hauling a lot of gear, which you guys typically tend to do. Yeah. And then at that point, you either have the option to take the standard mileage, a certain, you need a certain amount per mile, or you can take a pro rata share of your actual car costs. Okay. Does my car need commercial plates in order for me to... No. It doesn't need commercial plates to get... No. Okay. So as a freelancer, I kind of walk the streets of New York. I'm here in New York a lot. I see places like Jackson Hewitt, H&R Block, and there's big kind of tax chain places. What are the benefits or detriments of using those kinds of big services versus, like, say, an independently owned CPA? So, number one, in a turnover, you're not going to necessarily have the same core management team in those places. Number two, they are usually not doing this year round. Those are the detriments. Number three, they may not be as sophisticated with deductions, benefits, they're large chains, so there's accountability hypothetically to them. Small firms, downside is essentially, you know, they, small firms also can, you know, people owners can pass away, they can retire. There's always personality issues, potentially working with someone. So the big chains, you know what you get. It's like going into a restaurant. You know what you're getting with the big chains. The detriment is, you know what you're getting with the big chains. Sure. Smaller firms is a bit, little bit more trial and error finding the right fit. Yeah. And when you find that right fit, it's amazing. It it's like finding so a partner. It's like finding <laughs> exactly. a partner. Exactly. Like finding a partner. Sometimes is... you need to go through a few accountants just to find the right fit. Yeah. I have a certain style. Some people like it. Some people don't. My competitor is the same thing. It's just sometimes it's technically driven. Sometimes it's just personality driven. Yeah. And do you find it like a, that a lot of like your clients, they kind of have difficulty opening up at first about their finances and how you know much money they have or how little money they have? I know that from personal experiences, whenever I've gone on dates, money things have come up. It's always like a really sore subject. I'm open to speaking about a lot of stuff, but when it comes to finances, I'm usually a lot more reserved. Is that the same thing? You know, I find for us, it really takes a couple of years to really, really, really fine tune it with people. Yeah. I mean, the first year, we don't know them as well, but after we do this for a couple of years, people are more comfortable. They open up and then we can have much more better planning advice as we get to know people and they, they trust us. Sure. Okay, let's say like I'm a freelancer and I, let's say, haven't made money for the first couple of years that I started working. And I just didn't pay taxes. I'm not proud of it, but I just didn't pay them. What are the yeah? What are the pitfalls of that happening? And how do we? So New York State can hypothetically yank your driver's license. Federal government can yank your passport once you start owing major money. I would if you're in a position where you haven't filed and someone hasn't bothered you, at least at the state level right now, you can go to the state, confess your sins, and you can mitigate some of the damage with them. Okay. But I personally would rather be controlling this versus someone breathing down my neck. And I would try to get this. If you're in a situation where you owe a lot more money than you actually have, and you might at the federal and state level, you might be able to do something called an offer of compromise where you can go to the IRS or New York State and try to work something out where you pay less than what you owe. I mean, those are very extenuating circumstances usually. Sure. But we've had some success with that as well. So I definitely wouldn't hire. The best time to deal with stuff is when you're broke, frankly, because when you have money, 
government's just going to want you to pay it right away. When you're broke, that old government may allow you to file the return to put you in cannot collect status, whereby they don't bother you for a few years. And potentially you may work with you on an offer and compromise to negotiate some of those amounts. Then. Sure. And all that money that I did owe, let's say, granted it wasn't a lot of money, but whatever mm-hmm. money I did owe, do I have to pay that all up at once? Or does the government give me like a certain amount of time to pay that There's up? payment plans you can do with them, but just keep in mind they charge interest. Sure. So there are payment plans. Sure. Okay. So one thing that's really been trending this year amongst filmmakers is these apps like Robinhood and Webull and people are buying stocks and you know GameStop and everything. What kinds of things should we look out for during tax season if we've made money or lost money using these apps like Robinhood? So number one, make sure you have the cost basis. So you pay taxes on the gain or loss and make sure these apps have the cost basis. What does uh, that mean the cost basis? You, oh, essentially, I'm sorry. So if essentially, if you buy a stock for, let's say, $20 and sell for 30 your cost basis is 20 your sales price is 30 you're paying taxes on 10 So you only pay taxes on realized gains or losses, meaning that if you actually sold the stock, that's when you pay the tax. So if you had a massive gain and you said, you know what, I'm going to sell it, you're going to have a big tax bill. So you need to get on your taxes because if you don't file on time, or let me phrase this, if you file an extension, but if you don't pay by May 15th this year, you're going to start owing interest and penalties. Sure. What about dividends? If I've earned any kind of dividends, but I haven't sold the shares yet, do I owe taxes on those dividends? Typically, yes, because a lot of times the dividends are reinvested. So you have the right to take them out. You just chose to reinvest them, but typically you're going to owe money on this. And some of these investments, the actual investment itself may have triggered capital gains or losses, even if you didn't sell an individual stock, just based upon how the investment companies handle things. Okay. And how about Bitcoin? Are you seeing a lot of freelancers now wheeling and dealing in the whole Bitcoin yes. market? Bitcoin just like buying or selling a stock. You have to report it and you have to be very careful. There's a box that you need to check because if you own Bitcoin, even if you didn't sell it, you still need to check a box on tax return. Otherwise, there's a potential penalty on the issue. And I guess Bitcoin is the same thing. If I haven't sold the Bitcoin, I don't necessarily owe any taxes. I just have to declare it. Correct. But there's a box that you need to check on 1040 right below your address. Just make sure you check the box and no one bothers you. Okay. Does it complicate my taxes at all if I've bought or sold Bitcoin or is it handled the same way as stocks? It's handled the same way as stocks. So okay. if you feel uncomfortable, they can help, but it should be handled the same way as stock. Okay. Okay. So I'm a freelancer. I work as, you know, on all these different productions. I get all these tax forms. My wife, she works mm-hmm. for a company. She gets a single mm-hmm. W-2. Would you advise us to file jointly or should we file separately just to kind of simplify things? So, you know, it depends upon individual facts and circumstances. I know for my software, 95% of the time, couples come out better if they file a joint return. There may be instances where there's such an income disparity and may pay to file separately. But if you're looking just on a dollar and cents test, typically it pays to file the joint return. There may, may be other circumstances that may warrant separate returns, but financially, filing a joint return usually pays. Okay. Another question about hopefully saving money. If I incorporate as a small business mm-hmm. and I'm not hiring anyone, it's just me, do I need to get business insurance or workers' comp or general liability? Okay. So if you have form an entity in New York, and I'm going to be in New York specific because I'm physically in New York City. Once you have, so if you have an S corporation, let's use an S corporation because that's a popular entity for a lot of people. Under an S corporation, by definition, you are an employee. So the owner officer, if he's the only person's entity, is exempt from workers' comp and disability insurance. If there are one or two owner officers running this business, they are exempt from workers' comp and disability insurance. Again, this is very specific by state. But anytime you hire anyone that's not an owner and or you have more than two owners running this, you need both workers' comp and disability insurance and now paid family leave after. 
So you actually need three insurances. And if you don't get these things, there's some massive fines. I just saw a mail in my office. Someone didn't have this and he has a $15,000 fine from the state for not wow. having a workers' comp. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, so much of this stuff is just so mysterious to us because we just don't have backgrounds in business and insurance. Unfortunately, when you run a business, you're expected to know everything. Look, I have five sets of attorneys working with me. Ultimately, I pay them, but I have to make the call. I have an IT person. I have to make the call. When we run a business, we have to know a little bit about a lot of things and make decisions. That's why we hire professionals to help us. You have to know the questions to ask. Yeah, absolutely. I, just from me dealing with my CPAs for my business, they put so much information into my brain that I didn't even think about because they deal so much with you know, people in insurance and lawyers and stuff like that. So they just kind of always help me think about, okay, if I do this, I have to also worry about this, this, and this. You know, so I've been lashed out where people are like, you didn't tell me this. I'm like, and I'm like, you didn't ask me the questions. So sure. people that I deal with once or twice a year, we ultimately have to take responsibility. We have to pay attention to the mail. You see interest accruing on things. You see the interest line. If you have an issue with the IRS, you can't be naive to say, well, I didn't know they charge interest. Well, this week, you got, a, you got a bill saying they're charging you interest. How can you say that? Sure. You have to take responsibility for running our own companies. If you're not up to it, hire someone to help you. Make sure you're finding the right person. Interview people. So, you know, someone may not be the right fit for you. That doesn't mean they're bad people. They're just not the right style for you. To the extent that you don't understand something, spend money to get the help. Yep. But be prepared to spend money. If you're running a business, you have to have a budget for it. I've had someone who called me. I gave her a fee and she was trying to negotiate it down. And I was very politely said no, because it wasn't profitable otherwise. Can't be cheap. If you need help, you can't be cheap. And then if you are, well, you get what you pay for sometimes. Yeah. If you're not willing to spend the money, you can't lash out at someone and blame them for not doing 10 things and only hiring him or her to do one thing. Sure. Take it seriously. Running a business is a serious thing. You got to put aside the time and the resources to manage it. Yeah, absolutely. That's where comp shopping really comes in handy is like do a lot of interviews, meet a lot of different CPAs. And not only look at their prices, but also just personality and how well do you guys get along? Absolutely. You ask a question and not be judged. Yeah. And they can just speak to you very clearly. If you don't understand something, they'll take the time to kind of explain it to you in layman's terms so that you can understand where your money is going, what's going on with your money. Why am I making money or why am I losing money? The but also know what to ask is if you deal with a CPA that is heavily intact, don't try to have a conversation like this on March 15th. Yeah. They're not going to take the time. They don't have the time. You need to do this in a way that you have to plan it out. You can't jump stuff on people last minute and expect it to be done. You get out what you put in. And if you put everything in last minute, you're going to get someone who's going to best triage things, hopefully, last minute, but you can't expect much better. Sure. And that's actually something really interesting is knowing which questions to ask. And that's something that filmmakers, we don't necessarily have a background in that. But if we're looking to hire a CPA, we would like to kind of speak the language a little bit. Are there any kind of books or YouTube channels or anything that you can think that would basically help filmmakers that don't have a background in dealing with finance to kind of learn a little bit about terms and learn these acronyms and learn about business process and stuff like that. Do you, you, know, you know, I would say the following. There's books like Taxes for Dummies, podcasts such as this, other articles, Freelancers Union, I write a bit there. There are other articles asking other friends. You're not expected to know everything, but you need to look for the right professionals to help you. And I would ask some friends and trust to make a list of questions to try to identify issues and ask the CPA and say, hey, you know, this is what I have. This is what I want to do. What are the repercussions of this? Do I have to have payroll? Do I have to have business insurances? Where are my potential exposures of things? Yeah. Get an attorney as well. Be prepared to spend money. This is not something you can do for $20. Sure. Yeah. So you just mentioned that you write for another organization, Freelancers Union, 
or whatever. So this is just a side note, but I'm going to actually email you separately and just ask you to list any places that you write or talk at. So people, if they're interested on getting podcasts or reading materials that you've written, they can do so. So as long as I know, I'll list it in the show notes and on the website. Cool. Well, so you mentioned S-Corp earlier. What exactly is an S-Corp and what are the benefits or detriments of having an S-Corp? And I know this so is an a S-Corp question, is an but... entity. An S-Corp is an entity that's a flow-through entity whereby the profit is passed to you individually. By requirement, you're also supposed to be an employee of the business. So let's take a hypothetical example where an entity has $100,000 of profit and $50,000 of which is your wages. So you have $100,000 profit of which you're going to pay yourself $50,000 in wages. So you're going to have a W-2 that says $50,000 and you as the employer, you're going to pay social security taxes on that. And you as the employer will pay matching contributions. And the remaining $50,000 passes through to you on a K-1 and you don't pay social security taxes as the employer employee. The downside of that is in New York City, it charges you on any amount that you're not paying to yourself as an employee profit. New York City charges a business tax of approximately 9%. So that's why when I said before, entity formation, it really depends upon state and local taxes. Because advice that I can give someone in New York City will be different than I'd give someone outside of New York City, given the local business taxes here. New York City is its own animal. Sure. It's actually a question that I left off earlier, but I meant to ask you. At the end of the year, do you recommend ever to for filmmakers to maximize the amount of purchases they can make, like business-related purchases, in order to claim more deductions? Come December, is it good for me to maybe buy a camera? Well, it depends. It depends. If, you had a, if you had a really windfall of a year, potentially, yes. But if it's just buying stuff that you don't need, no. I would say always reinvest in the business, but it just depends upon the given year that you had. Maybe last year wasn't exactly the best year to go on a business spread. Sure. And yeah, so last year, obviously, as we all know, it was catastrophic for so many different industries. What are some of the common things that you're seeing as an accountant and freelancers coming in? What kind of questions are they asking? What kind of things are they dealing with due to the pandemic? A lot of them are on a, have unemployment. A lot of them may have not gotten stimulus payments that they should have gotten. A lot of them took to trading cryptocurrency on the side. A lot of them grabbed PPP and unemployment at the same time without realizing it's one or the other and the ramifications. It was a bit of free for all last year, and people made quick decisions without realizing the implications of some of the things that they did. Sure. And what I'm doing now is trying to tell people, look, let me help you so you don't get yourself into major trouble. Some people accept me, some people don't, but at least I'm mentioning it to them. Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much most of the questions that I had. Is there anything else that I guess that you would want our listeners to know who are between 20 and 40 in age and they're like freelance filmmakers, a lot of them don't own businesses. Is there anything that you would kind of want them to take away from Yeah, there's one thing I want to mention. The only advice is, you know, you blink your eye, you're aged by 10 years. Start saving aggressively for retirement. It's just my only suggestion because you blink, you're 40, you're 50 years old, and you don't have much save for retirement. So I'd strongly encourage people to put money away for not only retirement, but a rainy day. What the pandemic taught us is, you know what, stuff happens and you Especially when we work for ourselves, you need a buffer in case something comes up. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned that, that actually brings up a question for me. There are some apps like Acorn, I think Stash, mm -hmm. which kind of automate the process of savings. And as a filmmaker, I'm 37 now. I'm terrible at saving. And I look at my wife, she's amazing at saving. Would you recommend these kinds of apps that automate the saving process and kind of- It just depends upon you individually. Right? It also depends upon your, your temperament. I have certain amounts that I put each week and each month towards- savings, mm -hmm. both for retirement and non-retirement. And then I periodically make investments into other things as they come up. So it really depends upon your own temperament. If you're the type of person that needs to automate it, of course you do it, by all means do so. Sure. Okay. 
Great. Okay. So that pretty much answers most of the questions that I had. Thank you for your time. And we'll definitely drop links of your website and social media and the links. It's shameless plug time. This week's episode is sponsored by yours truly, Tom Chavez, and my video lighting company, Mastershot Films. Since 2008, tons of productions have entrusted the Mastershot team to handle all things lighting on their interview and social media videos. The Mastershot crew of gaffers and key grips deliver and operate lighting and grip equipment throughout New York and New Jersey in our two-ton vans. Visit our website to see a virtual tour of our vans and gear. I'll drop the link in the show notes. Our listeners will get 25% off their first booking by mentioning the promo code COVIDBLOWS. Use the code, save some dough, and let's get back to work. And now, back to the show. Okay, that wraps up my conversation today with Jonathan Meadows. I'm really grateful to him because John is a total pro and he was willing to donate several hours of his time on a Sunday to help out our community with advice that he's gained over the years from working with so many freelance filmmakers and small businesses. We covered most of the questions that I had for him regarding taxes, and I really hope it helped demystify some of the questions that you might have about filing as well. For a lot of us, especially the ones in the early stages of our careers, the idea of hiring a CPA is intimidating and it feels out of reach. My best advice would be to search for a few virtual meet and greets with a local CPA and talk to them and see if they'd be a good fit. Your ideal accountant should be certified, patient, and ask you a lot of questions in order to learn as much as he or she can about you and your situation in order to provide you with the right services. They should also be willing to explain in non-technical speak what things you should look out for as a freelancer and what kind of documents that they'll need from you in order to file your taxes properly. Based on the information you supply them with, they'll tell you their fee. Let's say, for example, that a CPA will charge $500 to file your taxes. I would recommend setting up an automatic transfer of $42 a month from your checking account to a savings account so that every 12 months, you'll have enough saved up to cover their fee in order to file your taxes. Keyword here is automate, so you don't need to actually think about it. $42 a month equates to roughly one or two dinners out each month, which is well within reach for most freelancers. At the end of the day, you need to ask yourself if you'd be willing to forego one semi-expensive dinner each month in order to afford a professional who will save you weeks and maybe even months of stress leading up to your tax filing date and hopefully keep you from getting audited. Looking back, it was a great investment for me. And if you're anything like myself, with very little understanding of tax filings, tax codes, income brackets, and the likes, I'd highly recommend the investment. Knowledge is king when it comes to all things money. John has written countless articles and blog posts on the subject, and I'll share them in the show notes below. I'll also provide you with some additional books, YouTube videos, and some resources that I've used in the past to get a better understanding of money and taxes. If you have any questions, feel free to submit them on our NYC Video Podcast Facebook group. I'm sure that if you have questions, other people have the exact same question that you do. And if I can't answer them, hopefully somebody else in the group can. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode and for all the filmmakers who submitted their questions on Facebook. If any of your freelancer friends can get some kind of value out of it, please consider sharing this episode. As always, you can subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And lastly, my team and I work really hard to keep this show going because we feel it's really important to offer free education to the freelance filmmaker community here in New York and to discuss the many obstacles that we all deal with throughout our careers. If you want to make a small donation, that would be amazing. I'll put a link in the show notes below. Also, if you're a small business and would like to run a sponsored ad on one of our shows and help the NYC freelance filmmaker community, please get in touch with us via our website. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you tune in next week where we'll be talking about strategies on how to find work as a freelance filmmaker. Until then, I'm Tom Chavez. This is the NYC Video Podcast, and I hope to see you on set. Thank you.